For weeks following the 2020 presidential election, the defeated outgoing president and his allies had been working to subvert unfavorable results by submitting multiple lawsuits in cities across our country. He urged his vice president not to perform his constitutional duty of certifying the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris victory. Donald Trump believed, Our country has been under siege for a long time. This is And Another Thing. I'm Dara Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. Those words spoken on the National Mall preceded the storming of the U.S. Capitol. It is not their America. It is our America. An example needs to be made. Stop the steal. Stop the steal. Patriots, move forward. We can take that place. Get in there. Meanwhile, Vice President Mike Pence proceeded with his constitutional duties. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for President and Vice President of the United States. Unbeknownst to him and lawmakers in the building, at 2.12 p.m., rioters entered the Capitol just one floor beneath the Senate session. At 2.15, lockdowns began. At 2.16 p.m., however, the House was still in proceedings. Republican Representative Paul Gosar of Arizona had the floor. Democratic Representative Jim McGovern from Massachusetts was acting as Speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi had been evacuated. And next... The House will be in order. The Capitol has been breached. That was one year ago. Today, our guest, chairman of the House Rules Committee and Massachusetts 2nd District Congressman Jim McGovern, takes us through what happens after he rests the gavel in disbelief to recess the House and exit for safety. You know, we were doing what we do every four years, uh, and that was fulfilling our constitutional responsibility to certify the Electoral College results. Uh, I knew that there would be some challenges to the uh, results. Some of my Republican colleagues had indicated that they... uh, had found senators to join with them to challenge the results, which meant that there would be a prolonged debate and there would be a series of votes. Other than anticipating a, a, a longer day than usual, uh, you know, I, I, I had no idea about, about what was about to um, unfold. I knew there were protests outside. I arrived at work early that morning and there were people gathering outside the Capitol. I and a lot of others told our staffs to stay home because really there was no role for anybody other than members of Congress that day. So why should they have to walk past a bunch of angry people? And so um, the proceedings began. Speaker Pelosi was in the chair at one point early on. Uh, she uh, asked if I could replace her temporarily. I think she thought she would be gone just a short while. She left her telephone you know, uh, on the table, uh, but she was whisked away to a secure location. And I was in the chair. Again, not knowing what was going on, my daughter Molly was texting me, uh, are you okay? Why are you there? You know, I was, I couldn't quite understand the context of the text because I didn't have access to a TV. I was just, obser- I was just overseeing the, the challenges, the electoral college results. Then at one point I had to um, temporarily suspend the session because a security guard told me, uh, Capitol Police told me that there was some uh, disturbance outside. I just assumed it was one or two people that got past the guards. And uh, then I, then we, we we went back in the session. And then a minute later, uh, I was told, you better close the session. Uh, it's not, no longer safe for you to be here. You, you're going to have to clear uh, the, the chamber. 
And I said, okay, well, what do I tell people? And they said, well, we have to figure out how to get you out of here safely. Uh, and so, um, but I still had no idea. I still had no idea how many people uh, had entered the Capitol. Uh, I still had no idea, you know, the ferocity of the of the crowd. I heard some, you know, shouts again, uh, but uh, it wasn't until I walked off the House floor into the Speaker's gallery. I was the last person off the floor on uh, January 6th, and I came face to face with these people in the Speaker's gallery. If you want me to describe what evil looks like, it's looking through those faces, those people. I had no doubt that they wanted to do harm to, to us. Uh, I had to wait a little bit because, again, there was a little bit of a backlog of people trying to get out of this one narrow exit way. And shortly after I turned the corner, that's when Ashley Babbitt, the woman that they put through the window, was shot. People asked me, you know, were you afraid? And I was like, I wasn't afraid. I was, I was just angry. I was stunned. You know, I spent a lot of my life on Capitol Hill. I met my wife, Lisa, who worked for Congressman Gary Studs in the Capitol. I've been a member of Congress since 1996. You know, and I see the Capitol Dome, I still get emotional. I still, I still, it still symbolizes to me all the best of this country. And to see them tearing it apart, you know, I, uh, at that moment, I wanted to, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to give them the middle finger and say something uh, inappropriate, which I can't say uh, on, on the air. I'm glad I didn't do it because everything was being videotaped, but I was just angry. When you were moved out, out of the chamber with your colleagues, do you remember the expressions on their faces? Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like sitting through those tense moments? I mean, people were desperately trying to figure out what was happening. Sometimes if there's a plane that is flying at the, the Capitol building's airspace, they evacuate the floor as a precaution. And I, I don't think anybody in their wildest imagination thought that hundreds and hundreds of people would breach the Capitol building and basically occupy and tear apart the United States Capitol. When I left, I had the unpleasant experience of, of seeing them all. And I remember saying to one of the staffers that was next to me, I says, I don't think these people are here to protest. Uh, they're not here to give us a, a leaflet. So I said, you better move quickly as soon as you can, because uh, this isn't good. I just remember people being kind of stunned, not quite sure what was unfolding. I was, I had like about a hundred texts from some, from people I haven't heard from in years, you know, wanting to know if I was okay. And I was responding to all of that. The place we were at didn't have a TV. And so I was getting updates from my staff and my family who was watching TV. And I was trying to follow the news, you know, on my, on my phone. But uh, again, just, I think all of us were stunned that this was happening. House Rules Committee Chair and the Congressman representing the second district of Massachusetts, Jim McGovern, is and another thing's guest as he recalls to us the deadly storming of the Capitol in which he occupied one year ago today. We've heard stories about what happened when lawmakers made it into those undisclosed locations. It was bipartisan. Everyone was not red or blue, but human. Who were you down there with? Liz Cheney was there. Um, I was talking to Congressman Tom Cole, who's a Republican from Oklahoma, who's the ranking uh, Republican on the House Rules Committee, which I chair. A man who I admire a lot. Who I, we have a good relationship. I was just making sure he was okay. And there were there were some Republicans, I have to tell you, who were you know, we, we COVID was still was was an issue, right? And, and so there were fewer people on the House floor, thankfully. But there were a handful of Republicans who were not wearing masks. I found that annoying. I think some others found that annoying. Again, we were in close quarters. 
and I, I thought out of courtesy that they should be wearing masks to protect themselves and to protect others. But uh, anyway, I didn't want to get into that that fight. Some others chose to engage on that. Most of the people that I was talking to and who were talking to me, we were concerned about the safety of everybody and wondering what was happening. And, and I was communicating and texting to my leadership that I thought it was important when this is done, that we had to go back to the Capitol building to finish what we started, that it, it would be an awful, you know, it would be awful symbolically to go to a, a, a different location to finish Congress's work, that we had to do it in the Capitol building, no matter what the state of the uh, the Capitol was, we had to go back and finish our business. And ultimately, you know, several hours later, when Nancy Pelosi came back, that's a, that's what we did. What did the building look like when you re-entered the chamber? I have an office in the Capitol as well, on the third floor, the Rules Committee office. I had left the door open, and so I anticipated that maybe the office would be in ruins. If you walk into my personal office, I have some pictures hanging that, uh, if you were a right-wing fanatic, would probably not be pleased with. I had pictures of Ted Kennedy and uh, George McGovern, uh, Joe Moakley. I have a poster frame that says, love Trump's hate. So I thought if they walked into my personal office that they would probably destroy it. When I got there, they had not gotten to my office. So my office was fine, which I was grateful for. But then walking through the rest of the building, I'm broken glass everywhere. I could smell the remnants of tear gas. Um, I saw some blood stains on the floor. I was really horrified that that they ransacked this building, that they that they had such disrespect for this kind of citadel of democracy. I was sad um, at, at what I saw. I went back into the chamber, and I had perhaps naively believed that after all this violence and all this chaos, that uh, people would come together. I remember I was in, I was in the Capitol on September 11th when we were attacked, and I remember you know after that horrific incident. Democrats and Republicans actually stood on the on the steps of the Capitol and sang God Bless America. I thought something like that would happen. And instead, when we get back, a handful of Republicans continued to challenge the results, continued to embrace this big lie that somehow this election was not legitimate and continued their effort to undermine the will of the American people. And I, I was stunned by that. And so debate and votes went well into the early hours of the next morning. After the break, the congressman shares where he thinks our democracy stands now and what we all need to do to protect it. You're listening to And Another Thing. Stay with us. You're listening to And Another Thing with Derek Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. Today, we relive January 6, 2021, alongside Congressman Jim McGovern, representative of the 2nd District of Massachusetts and chairman of the House Rules Committee. The Worcester native was in the Speaker of the House chair overseeing voter certifications when the insurrection began. As horrifying as that was, what he witnessed afterward shocked him the most. On January 7th, you you did a video walkthrough to show what the damage was from these rioters, from the protesters, from, as you call them, the terrorists. And then you said you lost, the people won. To those who did this, uh, you will be held to account. To Trump, and to the uh, domestic terrorists that came here, you lost. You lost. The people won. Here we are to the day, one year later, and we've got 725 arrests of the people that stormed the building. We have zero accountability from the top down and with lawmakers. How do you feel now? Who do you think now has won? Well, I, I think, you know, when I said that the people won, what I meant at that moment was 
they tried to launch a coup. They tried to undermine our democracy. They they tried to take away, you know, the voice of the American people and and um, undermine a legitimate election. They didn't. They did not do that. So, uh, and in terms of accountability, we're we, you know we're not we're not finished. The uh, January sixth committee is still working, and I and they're, they're making progress and. A lot of what they're going to be doing is going to be more public in the in the weeks weeks ahead. But I'm, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I am again stunned by the fact that I have colleagues that are working overtime to try to frustrate attempts at getting to the truth and at getting accountability. I'm, I'm, I I don't I can't quite get it. You know, 140 Capitol Police were injured. People died, and that's not even to put into uh, consideration the the fact that staffers and people who work to maintain the cleanliness of the building and people who work in the cafeteria were severely traumatized by what happened. I remember getting a cup of coffee in the cafeteria in the Capitol a few days later, and the woman who was working that day uh, asked me, uh, do you think it's safe for me to continue to work here? My family is afraid for me. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, how unfair, how awful, how terrible it is that this woman who, who works in the cafeteria, you know, who shows up to work every day, who is afraid to go to work because of what these awful people did on January 6th. And, and the fact that we have members of Congress who work with all these people who are deliberately trying to minimize all that happened that terrible day, it, it really, it really pisses me off. Now, I appreciate all the talk of coming together, but let us not pretend that our colleagues on the left have been free of some anti-democratic impulses just because we signed on to legal briefs and asked courts to resolve disputes. I have good relationships with a lot of people who have very different politics than I do, but, um, but this is not about politics. This is about whether you're a decent human being and uh, to not condemn, to not be outraged by all that occurred that day. Um, you know, again, I have a tough time dealing with those people. So you went back into session on the House floor and the narrative began to spin, as you said. Some of your colleagues stood up and were still protesting, certifying the election. What does that say to you that some of your colleagues now, like Representative Jim Jordan and Scott Perry, refused to speak before the January 6th commission? Well, it tells me they're complicit in what happened that day. They're doing their best to, to cover all this stuff up and to try to run the clock out, hoping that maybe their political fortunes will change in the next election and they can just put all this to rest. But here's the deal. To be part of this terrible event, I mean, to, to have contributed in any way to it, to, to, to cover it up, to try to diminish it, it tells me you're a rotten person. I mean, who, 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 who does that? What kind of contempt do you have for the Constitution, for the institution? You know, what kind of person are you if you don't have the, the, the decency to understand what your colleagues and what the people you work with went through that day, what the country went through that day? Look, this was an attempted coup. And I think for some of these people, you know, they were disappointed that it didn't succeed. I think Jim Jordan, Congressman Perry, others as well, I think they wanted this coup to succeed. They wanted to be able to rob the American people of this election uh, and keep Donald Trump in power. Uh, they didn't succeed. They are now working overtime, trying to try to figure out, you know, how they can 
still succeed. That's what uh, they're engaged in right now. And so this coup is still underway, but it's not over. And the American people need to be mindful of that. And all of us need to be vigilant. It sounds like others that you just mentioned were attempting to threaten democracy. And I know on numerous occasions since January 6th, you have had interactions with Mr. Jordan and you have tried to get him to recite those five words and he still refuses to do it. For all of this time still, you know, you cannot say those five words that the election was not stolen. What is your strategy behind having him say those five words? Yeah, I think it's important that people acknowledge that Joe Biden, you know, was legitimately elected president of the United States. The American people do not favor kind of the extreme agenda, this autocratic agenda, this authoritarian agenda. And if you look at elections, their side is losing. I mean, they lose the popular vote. I mean, most in the last several uh, presidential campaigns, Republicans have lost the popular vote in the presidential election, even if they prevailed in the in winning the Electoral College. I mean, Democrats are winning overwhelmingly, but we don't win the seats because of, of gerrymandering. So they know that the majority in this country are not on their side. So how do they get to power? Well, they get to power by trashing democracy, by trying to seize it by whatever means necessary. God forbid they take control of the House and Senate in the next election. Uh, this coup will continue. And I hope and pray that we're all up to the fight to defend it and to make sure that these guys don't succeed. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Representative Jim McGovern, congressman for the 2nd District of Massachusetts. Congressman, there was a recent NPR poll that said six in 10 Americans believe that democracy in this country is in crisis. As someone who directly serves that democracy, how do you continue to do your job, especially in the face of very stable Republican support for conspiracy theories like the big lie? I have a new tack now. When people say stuff like the election was stolen, I don't roll my eyes and walk away. I engage and even family members. I think we have to do that. Because if you don't, then somebody may be listening and saying, hey, you didn't correct that. Maybe that person's telling you the truth. So we have to set the record straight. We have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations and confront people who push these big lies. You know, part of the way they're gonna seize power is by taking away people's right to vote, by suppressing the vote. You know, while I would, I would ask my Republican friends to start insisting on truth on the Democratic side, I'm gonna say we have to get more serious about protecting the right to vote. We have to do what we have to do to make sure we have federal laws in place that do not allow these people to suppress uh, people's rights to vote. Uh, we got to figure out ways of getting around the filibuster. This is urgent. So has democracy become partisan itself? Well, it shouldn't be, but unfortunately, it seems that it, it has become partisan, which is really, uh, really disillusioning. My first job in college was as a paid intern for Senator George McGovern of South Dakota. You know, he ran for president in 1972, won Massachusetts, unfortunately lost 49 other states. But in the late 70s, I worked for him in the Senate office and I, I loved it. And I used to go to work and I would look at his schedule every day and there'd be things like, you know, drinks with Barry Goldwater. Well, Barry Goldwater was a you know, big Republican who uh, lost in a landslide to Lyndon Johnson, but was known as this kind of arch conservative. And I would say to George McGovern, like, like what, why would you have drinks with Barry Goldwater? And he said, because I like him. He's funny. And, um, you know, I think he's a patriot. You fast forward to today, and you're like, I, it, it's, there are fewer and fewer Republicans that want to work with me. You know, even if, even if there is an area of, of common ground, because they think it's 
politically disadvantageous to them back home. And I, and I really find that discouraging because we have to be able to, to work together. The Republican Party is being hijacked by a lunatic fringe that believes in big lies, that embraces QAnon. I mean, that's, that's just the, the truth. It's not about helping people. It's about blowing up this system. It feels like to the layman person that will sit all day and watch this coverage of the anniversary, the question still is, but how? Unless there was, quote unquote, an inside job. We heard about how Representative uh, Presley's panic button uh, was supposedly uh, disabled in her office. And we hear about how some that crashed into the building knew the exact plans and where to go in offices. That feels very familiar and not just someone who came for a protest to cheer on the guy that they thought should be president. Again, and my hope is we will we will find more details out about this um, in the coming weeks. But there are reports that colleagues of, of mine on the Republican side may have taken some of these people for tours of the Capitol complex in advance of the attack on January 6th. They're now preparing now for the public phase of their action. They have a ton of information. Most of it gathered people born being sworn in under oath. But if any of my colleagues are involved in any of this, I, I, I think they should be expelled from Congress. And I'm happy to lead the charge because I, again, some of these people right now, their behavior is such that I can't even look at them. I don't want to get in the elevator with them. It's just hard to even deal with them. But, but we need to get to the truth. And that's what this committee is about. Congressman, how do you respond to those that ask, why is there an investigation into the attacks of January 6th but not one into the summer of 2020 following the murder of George Floyd. What we saw on January 6th is something that in my wildest imagination, I never thought could occur. But to compare it to protests dealing with police violence, you know, or some of the other protests for social justice and voting rights, by the way, the majority of those protests were, were peaceful. And those who were, who were violent, those who, who uh, were engaged in physical destruction, uh, many of those People were arrested and were held accountable. We, we, ought, we ought to make sure that the people who were responsible for what happened on January 6th are, are held accountable. But I mean, I, you know, when, when, when people try to change the subject, I, I'm like, don't you care about this country? Don't you care about our democratic institutions? Don't you care about our democracy? January 6th needs to be investigated. The truth needs to be established. And those who are responsible need to be held accountable. And I believe we will, that's the way we will proceed this year. Congressman Jim McGovern, thank you for joining And Another Thing and sharing your January 6th experience here on our show. Well, thank you for, for having me, and, uh, and I appreciate the, the discussion, and I wish you all the best, and please be safe. Thank you for joining And Another Thing today as we revisited the insurrection on our nation's capital one year ago. You can find more content on our page at NEPM.org. I'm Dara Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. Our chief content officer is Maxie Jackson. Today's editor and production assistant is Alexandria Severo. Our booker is Denise Vozella, managing producer Mark Degon. Technical operator is Betsy Cordes. Thanks for listening and have a great night.